You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Paramount that we always keep in the back of our minds as we begin to plow through arguably some of the difficult verses that are between verses 19 and, and 47. And the reason we need to keep these in our minds is verse 16 tells us that persecution is increasing. It tells us why the persecution is increasing, because Jesus is doing these various signs and wonders on the Sabbath. And we saw that a few weeks ago in the case of Jesus healing the invalid on the Sabbath day. And this is infuriating the Jews, and they are charging Jesus as a Sabbath breaker. And then in verse 17, we see Jesus responds to them initially, saying, my father is working until now, and I am working. And this <laughs> really serves to throw a lot more fuel on the fire, if you will, um, because uh, here we learn the simple truth that on the seventh day, the Father does rest from His creative activity, but the Father certainly does not rest from all activity. He has a universe to uphold, or we could put it another way, He has a universe to sustain. And uh, furthermore, He has a universe to providentially guide, doesn't He? So the Father is always working. He's working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but the Father does not fatigue. The Father is not under the curse of sin, which has brought fatigue. It's brought the sweat of the brow. The Father is outside of that. The Father is uh, unlimited in power, unlimited in strength. He does not fatigue. He has no reason to take any kind of rest. And when Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working, he is making a strong statement. Namely, he is saying that he is equal with the father. And there in verse 18, we see the second of the two charges. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So uh, we have to have this in mind to make sense of verses 19 and following, because what is Jesus doing in verses 19 and following? He is speaking to these twin charges of blasphemy, which is making himself equal to God. If he is simply merely a man and nothing more, then he is indeed committing blasphemy as he's being charged. And the charge of Sabbath breaking. Now, both of these charges are serious charges. They uh, come uh, with them capital uh, punishment. They're punishable by death. And Jesus begins to speak to these things in verse 19. We spent our entire time last, last week on verse 19. Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. And last week we saw that what Jesus was saying is, listen, I'm not out here on a solo project. You know, this isn't, I'm not out here acting rogue. This isn't uh, me uh, going rogue away from uh, the father. 
Uh, no, I can do nothing of my own accord. What Jesus is here denouncing is any sense of independence from the Father. Now, this speaks uh, right down into the heart of this Sabbath-breaking charge, doesn't it? You say, I'm breaking the Sabbath? Well, <laughs> you need to hold your horses here for a minute because, listen, I only do what I see the Father doing, and whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So this activity that I'm conducting on the Sabbath day is the very activity of the Father. And for you to say that it is unlawful for me to do this uh, work, this act of mercy on the Sabbath day is one and the same as saying that it's unlawful for the Father to do this, isn't it? Does that make sense? For Jesus sees what the Father is doing. In fact, in verse 20... Jesus can see what the Father is doing because the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And that's really one of the first claims that Jesus makes to the second charge, namely that He's making Himself equal with God. He claims that He can see all that the Father is doing. Now, last week I had mentioned, who can that be said of? Can it be said of one of the prophets of old? Well, at times and in seasons and different, uh, for different moments in salvation history, the answer would be yes. God does show them what he's about to do but it is a limited capacity. It's in a capacity of a certain series of events. But here, Jesus is saying that the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He is doing. And here, we, we can see this. With this information, we see, we see the event that's at the beginning of chapter 5 in a different light. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He goes to the pool of Bethesda, and he goes to this invalid on the Sabbath day. And it's not as though uh, Jesus has heard from the Father. The Father said, hey, listen, uh, uh, by the way, when you're in Jerusalem, whenever you get a minute, you want to go heal this um, invalid. I think 38 years is enough time. Uh, uh, you want to heal him while you're there. You, you, you know, as you get a minute, you can do it. I don't know. If, if you get a minute on Friday, do it. If you, if you get a minute on, on, on maybe Monday or Tuesday, when, no. Jesus is so unified, the Son is so unified with what the Father is doing that as we see Jesus acting, we are literally seeing the Father acting. And the timing is perfect. Jesus goes in on the Sabbath day to where there are numerous invalids, numerous people, uh, lame and paralyzed, gathered around this pool, and he heals this man on the Sabbath day. And in doing this, as we see Jesus doing this in chapter 5, what Jesus wants us to know is that we're also seeing the Father do this. For the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit all act in concert with one another in all of their activities and in everything that they do. And let me just say something here real quick about 
uh, verse 20 here. Notice, for the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Uh, there's an application in that I think we need to hear from time to time. And it, it's this. What is Jesus doing in his earthly ministry? Oftentimes, we answer the question by saying, well, he's come to save us. Is that wrong? No, that's not wrong. He has come to save us. But is that chiefly and principally what he's doing? Is that first and foremost what he is doing? No. The Father has given a bride. We're going to see this when we get to John 17. And if you're not familiar with John 17, it'll make great reading for this afternoon. But the Father has given a bride to Jesus, namely his church, a people whom the Lord has chosen to give to his son. He has done this out of love. The Father loves the son and has given this bride to the son. And the son loves the Father and in turn wants to reciprocate out of his love to the Father. And he obeys the will of the Father perfectly to show his love for uh, this giving of his bride, and he willfully submits even to death on a cross to demonstrate his love for the Father. So first and foremost, what we see going on here in terms of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry is not so much the salvation of us, but it is the love that is on display between the Father and the Son. And if this is the first time that you've ever heard that, I, I, I would recommend you meditate on that. Because we are actually caught up uh, in this love affair, if you will, between the Father and the Son. And it is absolutely amazing that we are being brought on board to this, that we're being brought in, that we would be, be given by the Father to the Son, and that the Son would in turn atone for us on the cross to make us perfect and fit for heaven to be with the Father forever. In seminary, we used to say, that'll preach. That'll preach. But back to, to, to our subject here, Jesus can see everything the Father's doing, and we could make some application of that. I mean, as we think about the events that are going on right now in the United States, for example, and all of the chaos and all of the things uh, that is going on, you know, the Word of God gives us the ability to see a little bit about what the Father may be doing in all of this, but we cannot see exhaustively what God is doing in all this. I mean, as we think about the election, as we think about uh, all of the things that are going on, the way we're so divided, the hatred that exists between uh, uh, th these two divisions, if you will, the, the, it's almost like the United States right now is a tinderbox. You know, it just need a little, just one little match and it could go up. Um, what is the Father doing? We could make some general observations from Scripture. I can't be convinced. I don't think I could be convinced that we are not, that is, that we are not in, in the process of being judged. Especially when you read the history books and you read how God has dealt with Israel. Now, Israel was God's covenant nation. But the principles that we see and how God deals with the other nations and how he deals with his covenant nation, I can't help but to see that we are not in the judgment hand of God at the moment. Now, we can make these, we can make these broad uh, 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 statements, if you will, uh, informed by uh, the Word of God, but we can't go any further than that. Jesus is here saying that he can see everything that the Father is doing. 
And that is a, make no mistake about it, when Jesus makes this statement, what is he saying? He is saying, you know, on this second charge, by the way, on the first charge, it's bogus. On the second charge, you're correct. I am saying I am equal with God. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he is doing. And I can see everything that the Father does. And the second thing that he says, back to verse 19, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now, what a statement is that? Here we see that Jesus not only sees all that the Father does, but everything that the Father does, Jesus does as well. Now, who could do everything that the Father does except for God himself? You have to, in other words, what I'm trying to say is you have to be God to be able to do everything that God does. That's another statement, if you will, of equality with God. And Jesus continues, if you look at verse 21. And you know what? Before we go back to, let me make another application. I was toying with this. And you know, another application before we move to verse 21. When Jesus goes into the pool of Bethesda, by the way, he walks past numerous invalids, numerous people who are suffering and paralyzed and lame. But we have no record of him healing all of them, do we? He heals one. And I think it would be a good opportunity to say, how does, that, how does this, this popular notion of social justice speak to that? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If that, if that phrase doesn't mean anything to everybody, I'll just give you a quick little summary. This idea of social justice is not exactly what it sounds like on the surface. Social justice basically teaches that Equality under law and equality under opportunity is not simply enough. We must have equality under outcome as well. Uh, all of that to say is it's not enough for us to all have equal laws, that the laws apply to everyone equally. It's not enough that we all have opportunities, but we also should have uh, opportunities in terms of wealth, opportunities in terms of success, opportunity in ter- or um, outcome in terms of status. And here, that's kicking against the very sovereignty of God. That cannot be, that's a leftist, far leftist ideology that is working its way into the church and it's being adopted. Sometimes when you hear me uh, pray about uh, leaders who are taking that, they're taking their bowl, they're putting the gospel in it, they're putting that in it, and they're stirring this up. And it's just, I don't know how long this fat will last, but You know, there's been a lot of bulls mixed with a whole bunch of other stuff. As you look just back through the last 50 or 75 years, this is the latest concoction. And it is indeed a concoction that is unbiblical. It is the Lord who makes poor. It is the Lord who makes rich. And it is the Lord's desire to heal this particular man of 38 years. And if that's his Lord, if that's his will, that's his prerogative. This is his universe. Now, let's move on. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to him will. What is Jesus saying here? The Son gives life. This is a prerogative that is reserved only to God. Who gives life? Who can speak and life begin to exist? Who's able to see, let there be creatures and creatures appear and begin to live and breathe? Only God can do that. Only the Father can do that. And here the Son is saying, well, He can do it too. And this 
is indeed another claim of being equal with the Father. You're saying that I'm making myself to be equal with the Father? Well, you're right. Verse 21, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. More about that in a few minutes. Look at verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has given what? All judgment to the Son. All judgment. Not just temporal judgment, like we would have in a court, one of our courts, but all judgment. Now, what is required to be able to be in the position of all judgment? It's, it's going to require exhaustive knowledge of all things. In the end, when we are tried, when we are on trial before the courts of the Lord, there's not going to be a jury that hears all of the evidence because there is no need for a jury to hear all of the evidence. The Lord has all the information because everything takes place right before his eyes, doesn't it? And in order to make this kind of judgment, you need to be in possession of all knowledge, don't you? Well, what is he saying here? All judgment has been given to the Son. He knows all things. That's another statement of equality with the Father. Now, some of you are thinking, maybe thinking about our Wednesday nights and all those nights where we come out here at 7 o'clock in the evening and rolled up our sleeves and tried to wrestle through the Trinity. And what did we say over and over again? That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one in what? Essence. They're one in essence. And in this essence, they're one in all of their attributes, and one of their attributes would be knowledge. The Son is one in knowledge with the Father in terms of His divine nature. He is one. He is equal. That's why our catechism rightly teaches that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are equal in what? Power and glory, aren't they? Equal in power and glory. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. The Lord has come the first time to bring salvation to the world. When He returns, He will return in judgment. More about that in a few minutes. If we look at verse 23, this would be an astonishing claim where Jesus looks at His opponents, and there He is in His garb, there He is in His sandals, there He is right before them, and he makes this statement in verse 23 that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Say what? That all may honor. I mean, if you were a little unclear about what's going on here up until now, I think it ought to be quite clear at this point. What is Jesus saying? He's saying just as you worship the Father... You should worship me. That's a strong statement. And he goes on and says, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You see, Jesus being in one essence, well, the Son, in terms of his divine nature, being of one essence with the Father, to dishonor he who is of the same essence 
as the Father is to do no other than to dishonor Almighty God. We could put it another way. To dishonor the Son whom the Father so dearly loves is to dishonor the Father, isn't it? That may ring more true than the abstraction of the first statement that I made because many of us are parents. And when someone dishonors your children, how does that feel? It feels dishonoring, doesn't it? Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Verse 24 is a statement of salvation, isn't it? What is Jesus saying here? He is saying, whoever hears his word and believes him has eternal life. In other words, what he is saying is he is the Savior, isn't he? He is the Messiah. He is the Mashiach. He is the Christoph. He is the Christ, however we want to put it. Whoever hears his word and believes him has eternal life. And whoever believes him, who sent? Who sent him? That is to believe the word of Jesus. If Jesus is busy doing all that he sees the Father doing, and he can do nothing other than what the Father is doing, as he speaks and as he conducts himself, we are seeing what the Father is doing, right? I, I brought that out last week. That ladder of logic right there, which is being presented to us here in John 5. So therefore, the words that we hear coming from Christ Jesus are not words that we could take as some kind of option. They're not words that should suggest to us that this would be the way to live a better life if we wanted to be on some kind of self-improvement plan. No, the words of Christ Jesus are the very words of the Father, and whoever receives them and whoever believes them and whoever fastens the welfare of their soul upon them has eternal life. What Jesus is saying here is he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Christos. Does that make sense? It's tough to see the uh, facial expressions of those who are covered up with masks. So a little bit of, okay, I'm with you. I've grown used to knowing when you're tracking with me by looking at your, at your faces, which uh, um, they look a bit different this morning. Verse 25, truly I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Do you see this? This is a, just an a, um, astounding uh, passage of Scripture, is it not? Uh, what, is, what is being said here? What, is this, what exactly is this about? Verse 25, truly, truly I say to you, an hour is coming, okay, and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Is Jesus speaking about the resurrection at the end of time? No, because he says the hour is now here, doesn't he? Then what is Jesus speaking about? He is speaking about conversion. He's speaking about what we call in theology regeneration. The Apostle Paul put it uh, this way. In fact, keep your place in John 5. And turn with me to Ephesians 2, where the Apostle Paul fleshes this very thing out. Ephesians 2, 
Notice there at verse 1, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus and through the church of Ephesus to us, speaking to believers, he said, you were, that is past tense, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In other words, what he's saying is once upon a time, you were dead people walking. You were dead men walking. You were dead women walking. You were dead children walking. What does he mean by that? What does he mean biologically you were alive, but spiritually you were dead? Paul's choice of words in this context, the Greek word necros, leaves no wiggle room. It's not mortally wounded. It's not close to death. It's dead. You were like corpse in terms of spiritual things. But if you look at verse 4, but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he says it again, made us alive together with Christ. Now, I want to point out to you that here, Paul's doing the opposite of what Jesus is doing. Where Jesus says all that the Son does, the Father does. Or Jesus says all that the Father does, the Son does, I'm sorry. But here, in what Paul is saying is that God, being rich in His mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in sins and our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. God in this passage is speaking of the Father. So here we see the opposite. Here we see that we see it being said that the Father is in cahoots with the Son. In John chapter 5, we see the Son in cahoots with the Father. Here we see this, this unity again. We're going to see it all over the Scriptures once we start seeing it, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit never embark on solo projects. They're always in union in the things that we do. But here in this work, they work together, and we could add the Holy Spirit to this, uh, we will when we get to John 14, 15, and 16. But for now, Father and Son, we see here that the Father and the Son are both involved in taking dead spiritual souls and making them alive. And that's what, back to John chapter 5, verse 25, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying an hour has now come when those who are spiritually dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, here we see the importance of the Word in our ministry here, don't we? What are they going to hear that's going to make them live? They're going to hear the voice of God. How do we know? How can we know that we are hearing the voice of God? Because God has put His voice in His Word, hasn't He? We have the voice of God in Scripture. But unless the Lord does a work in our hearts, unless the Holy Spirit does a work in our hearts, this will fall off of us like water off the back of a dock. You know, those of you who are active in sharing your faith are going to resonate with this quite well. How many times have you had a gospel conversation with somebody and the Lord has so blessed you that you're almost brought to tears with this gospel presentation and you're thinking for sure this is the day that they're going to come to salvation. And you're, you're, you're presenting the truth, you're presenting the truth, and you get done and they change the subject. They're completely unmoved by what you've just said. They've got a glaze in their eyes and their minds have been one. While you've been so caught up in this moment, their, heart, their hearts have been thinking about something else. What is going on there? Their souls are dead. They haven't been brought to life. Let's make an application of ourselves, of those who have been brought to life. Can we glory in our salvation? 
No. Why are we here this morning? Why are we gathered here this morning? You know, I, I love the response that, you know, yesterday when I sent the text out, the, the mask, you know, you hear some people whine about the mask. Oh, man, the mask. They whine about the mask. And then others are saying, you know what? I'm just so happy I can come. I'll be happy to wear a mask. I'll be happy to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Mask doesn't make any difference. I'll be happy to be there because we're going to be in the presence of Christ together. We're going to be in the presence of God together. That's a whole different heart, isn't it, that says that? It's absolutely amazing. That's a heart that's beating after God. That's a heart that's been made alive. Jesus goes on in verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. What's being said there is that the Son is the, the great I am. Nothing short of, of, of the Son as the great I am is what's being said there. You know, when Moses asks the, the Lord at the burning bush who, who he is, who may, I, who may I tell my countrymen uh, who has sent me, and the Lord says, well, tell him I am has sent you. He's making a statement of self-existence that in himself is life. In himself is all existence. He is not derivative of any other, but he is the first cause, if you will. He is the cause of all life. All life has its origin in him. And what Jesus is saying here is that he also is uh, in, um, that all life exists in him as well. And that speaks to the charge in verse uh, 18, doesn't it? Is he making himself equal with the Father? Absolutely. And we've already seen this before. Let me just show you again and remind you. If you look back to John chapter 1 and verse 4, notice there that we're told at the very beginning of verse 4, these four words, in him was what? In him was life. And this is why Jesus could famously say in John 14 that I am what? I am the life. I am the life. What a statement that is. I am the self-existent one. I am life. For as the Father has life in himself, so is so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. We could get into the Son of Man this morning, but we're, we're spent. That'll be for another time, but that is a wonderful, wonderful uh, discussion. But if we look at verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now we have the end times in, in view here. Now Jesus is making reference to the final judgment where um, those will come out of the tombs and unless the Lord returns during our lifetime, uh, our bodies too will come out at the resurrection of judgment and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works with that uh, statement there. Uh, we can only do good in God's sight if once we've, been, once we've come to Christ, right? And if we've come to Christ in a saving way, we're um, certainly going to be producing good works, aren't we, right? That's, again, another conversation. But if we look at verse 30, Jesus again says, listen, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
So what is Jesus saying? He's made a case here. I have six things that I've shared with you this morning, that he's making a case that he is equal with the Father. And that's the title of this morning's message, Jesus is equal with God, part two. Or we could say Jesus is equal with the Father, part two. He can do all that the Father does. He can see all that the Father does. He gives life. All judgment has been given to him. He is to be worshiped, and he is the Savior. How's that for a list? How's that for a response? And what application, final application, do we make in closing to that? May the Lord apply this stuff to us that our capacity as we behold Christ in our minds and in our hearts, my prayer is that it is widened, that it may be greatly widened. Who is he? He, he, is, he is equal in essence with the Father. He sees all that the Father is doing. He can do all that the Father does. In him is life. All judgment has been given to him. He is to be worshiped. He is the Savior. May this increase our capacity to worship him. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to press these things upon our hearts, press these things upon our minds. Oh, Father, we pray that, Lord, may you magnify Christ in our hearts and our souls this morning that as we think about these six things, and I have no doubt that others could be derived from this text, but as we think about the six things that we've looked at this morning, namely that the Son sees all that you do, O Father, and that the Son does all that you do, and that in the Son is life, just as in you is life, just as in the Holy Spirit there is life, and that all judgment has been given to the Son, and that the Son is to be worshiped just as you are. Oh, Lord, the Son is our Savior, that Jesus is indeed the Savior of the people whom you have given to him. Well, Father, press these things upon our hearts this morning. Press these things upon our, our lives this morning, O oh Lord. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen.